0: Hello, welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Hey listeners, this is a post-recording edit. Wanted to let you all know this episode was delayed for a couple of reasons. Uh, First, because it was Easter and my mom was in town, so I spent some time with her. Then this past weekend, I got my COVID vaccine. Yes, I am excited, thank you, um, but it did knock me on my ass a little bit. I'm still feeling the effects of it. That means that part two of this episode will also be delayed uh, originally, I planned to have Parts 1 and 2 out already. The new plan is to get this one out today and then get Part 2 out by the end of this month, beginning of next. But after that, I'm not entirely sure when my episodes on the Nelson and Union Station will be available because I just found out today that there's going to be some major changes at my day job and... Um, I just don't know how that is going to affect my schedule yet. But I hope you enjoy this and I thank you for your patience and thank you for your support. I hope to get the rest of those episodes out to you very soon. Hello listeners, happy Easter to everyone who celebrates it. And happy Ramadan, I just found out that Ramadan starts next week. Before we dive into today's subject, I would like to take a moment to encourage you once again to please get vaccinated as soon as you have the opportunity. Right now, millions of Americans adults have already received their shots, but the last statistic that I heard is that it's still just under 25%. That's a quarter of the population. I know some people are very skeptical about the vaccines, And think they're produced too quickly with not enough research, and we don't know what their side effects are going to be. I understand your point of view if this is where you're coming from. There is a lot of unknown, but I want to paint a picture for you. Just take a moment to remember March 2020, the early stage of the pandemic. Pretty much the entire world went into lockdown, like staying at home, we don't leave our homes, Because there's a zombie apocalypse outside version of lockdown. Because we have this new, very quickly spreading, very deadly disease. People, even young, healthy people were coming violently ill and dying. In those early days and weeks, scientists and doctors didn't know what caused it, didn't know how it was spreading and didn't know how to stop it. Except, you know, we had this idea that if the healthy people and the sick people stay separate, the healthy people won't become sick and then the sick people will get healthy and everyone will be healthy and will be good. It's like your laundry, you keep your dirty and your clothes, clean clothes separate, right? I mean, I hope you do. So keep the healthy people and the sick people separate, the healthy people will stay healthy, the sick people will get healthy, and then no more pandemic. That was the thought. And it worked in some places, didn't work so well in others like didn't work in America very well and the virus continued to spread and people continued to get sick and die and it had to stop it still needs to stop this pressure and this desperation that is what produced these vaccines Uh, hundreds probably thousands of scientists and doctors around the world worked as quickly as they and safely as they could to produce a vaccine that would fight coronavirus keep people from getting sick and from dying they did it they created the vaccines they weren't created in a vacuum they didn't say oh there's this imaginary disease we're going to create a a, a vaccine for no no information about the virus itself its symptoms how it spreads how it reacts to different factors um, environmentally biologically all of this was gathered and researched and cross-examined studies were conducted around the globe with the help of volunteers who had contracted the virus and these potential vaccines as they were created they were tested repeatedly they're still being tested trials and studies were conducted um, are being conducted about those who have been sick and those who have received at least one shot and the reactions to the shots are being recorded and monitored and studied and tested too From what I've heard, there's a variety of symptoms. The most common are headache, migraine, fatigue, tiredness, nausea. But there's also a rash. Didn't know that. just found that out. Um, Some people have even gone into anaphylactic shock. And that's bad, okay? If you're like, I'm really worried about these symptoms, I get it. I'm a little bit worried too. Um, I had COVID back in September. It was not fun. But that's why I scheduled my vaccine for Friday afternoon, so that I can rest all weekend and hopefully I'll be better and go back to work on Monday. And yes, some people have received the shot and then later died. But right now, CDC is not a repeat, not reporting any deaths due to the vaccine. No, it's not a conspiracy. They've investigated each death and they found some other cause. No, still not a conspiracy. The vaccine itself has not killed anyone. It is safe. It will work and it will keep you from contracting COVID vaccine. Okay, so Johnson & Janssen is only 70-ish percent effective, which means one in four people could potentially still catch it. But the other three are over 90% effective. That means there's less than 10% chance that you'll get it. 10%, guys? is 1 in 10, that's very little, you could still catch it if you're not safe, yes, but the point of the vaccine, of any vaccine, is to prevent infection. Alright, so I realized that was a really long story time, not even the story I was supposed to be telling today, sorry not sorry, it's imperative that everyone gets vaccinated and I'm trying to do my part to spread the word. Okay, last bit, wash your hands, maintain social distancing if you are unvaccinated, and keep wearing your damn mask over both your mouth and your nose. Thank you. Alright, here we go. In more related news, I have a merch store. I've told you about this a couple of times. I'm still really excited about it. Um, Just a couple of things available right now. A beer glass, some coffee mugs, some keychains, a button. If you're interested, please visit www.zazzle.com slash store slash homegrown underscore casey underscore store and see what's available. Um, If there's something that you want that I don't have up there, let me know. We can work something out. If enough people are interested, it'll become a uh, permanent item. And to make those requests, you can email me at homegrowncaseypodcast at gmail.com or you can send me a message through Facebook Messenger. This is episode two of the series Treasures of Kansas City. And we're going to dive into the history of the Country Club Plaza. I love the plaza. It's so fun. I think we all love the plaza. It's really one of the city's centerpieces. It's it's almost like the kitchen, right? It's where you all gather and you hang out. Um... We're actually not going to talk about the plaza today. I'm sorry, I know I just uh I just got you all excited and then shot you down. But we have to talk about JC Nichols first. I mean, can you talk about the Mona Lisa without Da Vinci? No, it'd be weird. Same thing. Casey residents will be very familiar with Nichols. His name is everywhere. And uh if you've listened to the show before, I've mentioned him several times. Um, a couple of times he was mentioned during my Paris of the Plains series. He was also mentioned during the episode Legacy of the Confederacy in my Black Lives Matter series. He's really a big deal. Let's back up and we'll start with his parents and grandparents. So his father, Jesse T. Nichols, was born in Belmont, Ohio on September 20th, 1864. Jesse was one of eight children born to Thomas Nichols and Elizabeth Hodge Nichols. Jesse T. and his two older brothers, Charles and Isaac, all fought in the Civil War. Charles enlisted with the 19th Ohio Infantry and Isaac with the 98th Ohio Infantry. And Jesse T. served in the Company G of the 117th Ohio National Guard. He was only 17 when he enlisted. After the war, Granddaddy Tom and Granny Liz moved to Kansas City in 1869 and they bought a farm in Monticello Township a couple of months later. Monticello is no longer a town, but you find streets and schools named after it in Shawnee. The town was originally established in 1857 and was named after President Thomas Jefferson's plantation, Monticello. Um... It was really small. It was only 42 square miles or 2,700 acres. It's now western Shawnee and eastern Lenexa. I don't have a date of death for Granny Liz, but it sounds like she outlived her husband. And Granddaddy Tom died in 1874, most likely at his farmhouse. So, Jesse T, that's JC Nichols' dad, was 23 when his parents moved out to Kansas City. He was grown, obviously, and he stayed home in Ohio rather than moving west right away, but he did move out to Kansas City in 67 or 68, and he helped his dad out on the farm until his dad died, and then he took over the farm until 1878. In 78, he became a clerk at the Johnson County Cooperative Association. And this turned out to be a really smart decision on his part because it was this really fast-growing business. It was a grocery store. It went from this little grocery store to a multi-department store with multiple branches very quickly. And he moved up within the business as it grew. He was elected the county treasurer in 1908 and then again in 1910. He helped organize the Olathe Packing Plant. He was a prohibitionist and a stockholder of and director of the Bank of Olathe. So, really good businessman, right? Um, they're probably living a, an affluent life, right? They got money. They're comfortable. He died February 13th in 1916, and he's buried at the Olathe Memorial Cemetery in Olathe, Kansas. So, J.C.'s mom... Josie was born in Ackworth, Georgia, on March 6, 1854. Her dad had been drafted into the Confederate Army and served for a while, but he was an abolitionist, so he ended up defecting to the North. Josie, her mom, and her sister Emma all served as nurses in the Union Army. After the war, they all moved out to Ohio and then on to Kansas in 1868. Josie and Jesse T. married on April 13th, 1872. They had two children, our boy JC and his sister, Maude. Josie died on January 3rd, 1947, and is buried at the Olathe Memorial Cemetery. And guys, she's buried in the same plot as her husband. That's really sweet. I. Couldn't find anything else on her, um, except for that little bio I just gave you. Um, Unfortunately, that's what happens when you're a woman. But uh, apparently, one other thing, her mom wrote a book about her experiences as a nurse during the Civil War. So, that's pretty cool, actually. Jesse Clyde Nichols was born on August 23rd, 1880, in Olathe, Kansas. And he grew up on the family farm, working on the farm. Not much info on him as a boy, but sounds like he lived a pretty average life, a pretty good life. Like I said, his dad was a good businessman, a prominent member of the community, so they were comfy. After high school, Nichols attended KU. That is Kansas City University, for those of you who don't live in the area or follow college sports. And that's in Lawrence, Kansas, about an hour away from Kansas City. From Olathe, probably still about an hour at least um, by car today, probably farther back then because they didn't have cars. Anyways, um, he graduated in 1902 with a bachelor's and he didn't have a specific degree. It was just a general studies kind of thing. But I was a little bit surprised by that. I figured his dad was such a big businessman and he becomes such a big businessman. He must have studied business, right? No. Um, Despite his family's wealth, J.C. did pay his own tuition, um, and he did that by selling meat to grocery stores and writing for the Kansas City Star. So he had a couple of jobs. He was was really rather entrepreneurial uh, throughout his whole life, actually. According to A Standard History of Kansas and Kansans, quote, he was a leader in college politics, was manager of athletic teams, assisted in the college newspaper and was a member of the student council and a class officer. He became a member of Beta Theta Pi and was elected to the honorary scholarship fraternity Phi Beta Kappa." End quote. That same source reported that he attended Harvard for 1 year from 1902 to 1903 on scholarship. Maybe he studied business there? Don't know, didn't say. His sister Maud also attended and graduated from KU. Now, I read that and I was like, Aw, sweet! An educated woman at the turn of the century. Go Maude! And go Jesse T and Josie for allowing her to go! But then I looked it up and KU opened in 1866 and they started admitting women in 1866. So, this is not... Um, Revolutionary or anything, she's not the first woman to attend KU, but still, you know, applause all around. All right, we're going to jump ahead just a little bit and talk about J.C. Nichols' family, starting with his wife, also Jesse Jesse Eleanor Miller Nichols. She was born in Olathe, Kansas, on November tenth, eighteen seventy nine, to Manuel George Miller and Mary Ellen Finney Miller. Once again. No information really found about her. Um, I finally found their wedding announcement and it offers some information on her. They were married June 18th, 1905. According to the wedding announcement, her dad Manuel owned the Bank of Aletha. And remember, Jesse T uh was a board member and director at that bank, so this is a interfamily connection here. Um I like to imagine that J.C. and Jesse grew up together and were friends in childhood and then high school sweethearts. Her papa, Manuel, also was a landowner. He owned a lot of land in Olathe. So she also grew up in an affluent household. She had one younger sister, Mona Louise Miller Kane, who lived from 1881 to 1968. The wedding announcement called Mama Jay, quote, a charming girl, end quote, with, quote, the finest womanly traits, end quote, and a sweet disposition. So, is it just me, or is that a really condescending description? Maybe I, I feel like I'm be, just being um, cynical here, but I don't know. Finest womanly traits? Ugh, and, It just, it's rubbing me wrong. Anyways, um, Josie took, not Josie, correction, Jesse took classes in California and New Jersey and graduated from Vassar, Vassar, oh my gosh, ah, um, it's, it is currently and always has been a very prestigious college in New York. It's highly rated, um, but it has a very, very small student body population, a.k.a. a bitty rich kids. So, that's just, that's actually a really good example of just how wealthy her family was. Um, The announcement went on to describe her wedding dress and the decorations and said that, quote, the event was one of the greatest elegance, end quote, and that, quote, very few brides have received such a rich number of presents, From many friends in Europe, end quote. So again, just, ooh, we are really, really rich. JC and Jesse had three children together. Eleanor Miller Nichols Allen, born July 1st, 1909, and died February 28th, 1961. Miller Nichols, born July 24th, 1911, died December 13th, 2000 and Jesse Clyde Nichols Jr., born September 20th, 1915, and died April 3rd, 2011. Y'all, you will be, or at least you should be, very proud of me. I found myself going down this deep, deep rabbit hole on J.C.'s son, Miller. The State Historical Society of Missouri has um, the Miller-Nichols papers. It's 39 cubic feet. So, a cubic foot is a banker box. It's a perfect square. It's 12 inches on each side. That's 30.5 centimeters for the non-Americans. They have 39 boxes full of them of personal and professional business correspondence and other papers owned by Miller Nichols and donated to the State Historical Society. And it's available to the public and I seriously thought about asking for access to those papers, but this is about Daddy Nichols, and it's not about Miller, so I did not. So, this is why you should be proud of me. I'm not making you go down the rabbit hole with me. Anyway, like other famous men of his time, J.C. held a lot of jobs over his lifetime. Like I said earlier, very entrepreneurial. So, family farm. um, He also worked as a clerk on Sundays. At his dad's grocery store. Um, Of course. I just told you about his college job. Selling meat. Writing for the newspaper. According to a standard history of Kansas and Kansans. JC also worked on a cattle ship. And he made his way to Europe. Working on that cattle ship. And then he toured Europe. I am uncertain of the veracity of this statement. A European trip. European trip post-college basically a modern gap year it's really super uh popular at the time and he was of the social standing that would take such a trip um but the this is the only source that cites that trip so I'm not entirely sure if he actually did it or not uh after college he basically got into real estate straight away And his biggest real estate project is obviously the plaza, obviously. Um, And since I'm focusing on the plaza in its entirety in part two, we're going to basically skip this part of his life for now and come back to it. But I do want to make mention of some of the other things that he did. In addition to planning, designing, and overseeing the construction of the plaza, J.C. also developed several other neighborhoods, including, quote, Romanelli Gardens, Indian Hills, Mission Hills, and Sunset Hills. End quote. He was one of the three original trustees of the William Rockhill Nelson estate. Um, they worked together on CB projects. And I think it's fair to say they were friends. But the biggest thing that JC did for the city aside from the plaza is related to Liberty Memorial. So, If you don't live in Kansas City, you probably don't know. We have the Liberty Memorial. It is the only museum in America dedicated to World War I. It's a national landmark and was built in 1926. J.C. was also one of the founding members of the Liberty Memorial Association, which formed just after the end of the Great War, with the desire to create a memorial to honor soldiers who had fought in the war. He was a member of the Committee of 100, which had the same goal, and he was instrumental in determining the memorial's ultimate location. So lots of different places around town were suggested, and of course the hill south of Union Station is finally selected, that's where it is now. I swear, I read somewhere that a whole, that he had bought that whole plot, and then either gave it to the city free of charge or they bought it for him on the down low super super cheap but when I went back to find it I couldn't so I don't know if I really read that or if I just made it up somehow doesn't matter anyway because the story if I read it is very false uh, multiple other sources agreed that the project was basically crowdsourced like the entire town donated money to purchase the land you know, whatever they could afford, whether it was a few pennies or thousands of dollars. And people from across America donated too, but really, Kansas City was like, this is what we want. We are going to do this. Um, JC is one of the ones that helped handle the funds, and he helped with the purchase, but he definitely didn't do it alone. Jumping ahead, because remember, we're skipping... Um, Probably the majority of his life at the the moment. Um, He died February 16th, 1950 of lung cancer. And his wife, Jessie, died April 28th, 1951. This is the end of today's episode. I did have a little bit more planned originally, but I decided to wait until part two. I felt like that was a better fit. So thank you for joining me today as we explored the biography and history of J.C. Nichols. I still haven't been able to get back to the library's research room, so pretty much all of this came from the internet. Um, Pendergastkc.org has a biography on Nichols, as does kchistory.org. I also used findagrave.com, and I found a really cool biography of him and his family at ksgenweb.org. Um, that's where a lot of the biographical information about his parents and grandparents came from. And of course, I had some newspaper articles. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I've deti- decided that it's time that we have some swag. So please go to www.zazzle.com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store, excuse me, to see what's available. I hope you all like it. If there's something else that you want, hit me up. Make sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. I'm homegrownkc on all of them. You can visit the website for more information about the various episodes at homegrownkc.wordpress.com. Again, my email is homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com. I've got some new Patreon episodes out, um, one with the director of the Wyandotte County Museum. Place sounds awesome. They have such a long, um, time period that they cover basically prehistoric Indians from like 5,000, 10,000 years ago, all the way up to modern day stuff. Um, if you live nearby, I hope you visit it. I'm going to go pretty soon. As soon as I find a spare moment. Um, I also have a new interview with Matt Reeves from the Missouri Valley Special Collections at the library. That is currently available to everyone because I, I just had so much fun talking to him. We talked about so many different things, but it's only available for one month. On May 5th, 2021, that will go back to being a Patreon exclusive episode. So check it out while you still can. If you want to support the show, I hope you will become a Patreon supporter. You sign up, create an account, subscribe to the show. And you can do so at patreon.com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. It's $5 a month. You'll be charged that day and then on the first of every month afterwards. And you get three really special things. One, you get a shout out on the show. Thank you, Bjorn and Linda, for your support. Love you both. You receive access to the exclusive episodes, its interviews with other historians and public historians in the Kansas City area, and you receive one free item from the merch store valued at $5 or less. If you can't commit to a monthly monthly donation, you can give a one-time donation at redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. Thank you goes out to my sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for creating my logo, to the Dear Misses for the use of their song, Kansas City, as the intro and outro music of the show, and to local libraries, which enabled me to gather my research, and lastly, to all of you, thanks for listening.